You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Jim Wolfrey. And you're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Natasha Adair. Natasha is a former All-American high school player and now head coach. Following a successful playing career, she transitioned into coaching and spent 14 years as an assistant before becoming a head coach for the first time with the College of Charleston in 2012. From there, she moved to Georgetown, where she turned around the program and earned a WNIT invitation. She then moved to Delaware, where she led the team to three Colonial Athletic Association titles and their first NCAA tournament appearance in nearly a decade. In 2022, she was announced as the new coach for Arizona State, who compete in the Pac-12. She's also served as an assistant coach for gold medal winning USA youth teams at World Cups. Natasha is an articulate and deeply committed coach who, in her words, is more focused on the living trophies in her care as opposed to the big trophies they are pursuing. In this energizing and at times quite spiritual interview, some of the key highlights for me were 
the very real and practical advice she has for all leaders on taking steps towards bringing more equality and diversity into their teams. How she uses positivity to underpin the development conversations she has with her players and her staff and her focus on understanding the motivation that drives her athletes, which she describes as their why, and how she uses this to build collective motivation within the team. Gosh, I took a lot from this conversation, and I hope you do too. But here at the Great Coaches Podcast, we're working to create one of the world's best leadership libraries from the lessons our great coaches share with us. You can help support our project get exclusive content and early access to the Great Coaches Collection by joining our Patreon community. All the details on how you can be part of this journey are in the show notes. And now, please enjoy our interview with Natasha Adair. You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Natasha Adair, good evening, my time, good morning, your time, and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And again, this is a great way to start my morning. Well, it's a great way for me to end my day, Natasha, (laughs) and I'm looking forward to talking about all things basketball with you, but maybe something easy to get us going. Could you tell us where you are in the world and what you've been up to so far today? Well, I am in the beautiful, hot (laughs) Arizona, state of Arizona. Obviously, Arizona State is in Tempe, Arizona, and I reside in Chandler. And so you have the pleasure of speaking with me from my home in in Chandler, Arizona this morning. And I know you've just moved there. So we're going to get all into your new home and your new university, your new job as we go through this interview. Okay. I can't wait. Natasha, I want to start by just talking about three great coaches that I know you've had experience with. Mike Peterson, Patrick Knapp, Tracy Late, Ludi, oh, and there's also Patty Langworthy. Mm-hmm. Now, those are some pretty good coaches there, and I know that you've met many others on your journey and all the associations that you're part of. Maybe just a relatively easy question to begin. What do you think the great coaches do differently that separates them from the rest? From my experience, I'll say they're really good listeners. You know, most often coaches are talking. <laughs> we are talking. They're telling you their, their philosophy, their vision, how you want, how they want things, how they should look. But I have found along my journey that the great coaches are listeners. They empower the people, not just the student athletes, the people around them. They're selfless. They don't want the limelight. They don't, they don't want all the credit. And they make people better holistically around them. I want to ask you about holistic focus and how you try to bring the whole person into the equation when you're coaching. But I'd like to go on a bit of a journey before we get there, because there is a bit of a backstory to how you ended up where you are in Arizona. And well, it starts in college with an anterior cruciate ligament injury. Mm -hmm. That means that you don't go from being an All-American high school player to the University of Connecticut. In fact, you head off to junior college before you get into the University of South Florida. And I'm wondering how this struggle, I mean, Mm -hmm. you were going to go and work for Gino Orema. You were going to play for Gino and that didn't happen. And I'm wondering how this struggle visible today in your approach to coaching. Well, the word is adversity. We can bold that word in every way. But at 17, when you go from, like you said, an All-American preseason, USA Today, All-American, all of these highlights, all of these accolades, there's nothing that prepares you 
for when you go to the doctor's office and they tell you you've tore your ACL and even if we repair it, and this is back in 1989, this isn't now where technology has evolved tremendously. And they said, you know, you may never be the same. What do you do at 17? <laughs> what does that mean? I had told all these other schools, no, I had my eyes fixated. Now, obviously that was before the early signing period in November. So this took place in a preseason game, but the stakes were different then. That's a big ask and a big risk when the doctors are telling you this person may not be the same versus now they'll tell you she's back in six months and she'll be better than ever. So at that moment, I'm so grateful and so thankful for my family because my mother, she is such the prayer warrior in our home that she said immediately, God has a plan. And at 17, I'm like, okay, mom, I hear you. But right now, what does this mean for me? And not just my mom, obviously my dad, my coaches, Patty Langworthy was my high school coach at the time, who I still talk to to this day. And it was just, we cried, we all cried and we didn't know what was next, but I knew I was loved. I knew I was cared for. And I knew that my parents had instilled this strength and toughness in me that even though I couldn't see what was next, I knew I was going to be okay. But when you talk about adversity and you talk about how that's paved my way, just from a player coming back from injury having to go through to the junior college level to then test it, to see if I could even be the same. And thankful to Vicki Carson, Hall of Fame Vicki Carson, who took a chance, sight unseen. I mean, she knew what I could do, but we had no idea what I was going to be able to do next. But she said, come here. There, she poured into me as a person, building that confidence back up, telling me, hey, this is the new improved you. We don't know why this happened. And just growing in that experience, learning to trust, learning to fight through adversity, knowing what I was, knowing that I'll be a different but better version of myself. Again, it was the people around me who poured into me because there were hard days. There were hard days when I knew I could do certain things, but my body wouldn't let me do it. And at 17, now 18 years old, how do you manage all of this? So I really attribute the people. I mean, I wouldn't be here without all of the people that we're going to talk about today. And that's just a snippet of just the beginning, how I apply just my experiences to coaching. It's every bit of it. Every day is adversity. Every day you're going to experience in this landscape that we're in now, in 2022. I mean, you look at what our young players have to deal with. I mean, we, social justice, COVID, pandemics. I mean, unheard of. We didn't experience that. Now, I tore my ACL. In comparison to what they have to deal with on a daily basis, our worlds were private back then. Everything is on social. Everything is public. Do you know the pressure that these, I won't even say 17 to 22-year-olds, let's start in high school. Let's start in middle school. Their life is under a microscope. We got to fail in private. We got to grow in private and only reach out to our safe space, our support group that wasn't going to judge us, that wasn't going to say these cruel things publicly. And so when I look at that little bit of adversity that I went through and how I apply it to now, every day it's about building our players up, empowering them, telling them that you can't see it but we'll, it'll make sense in reverse. 
We don't know now, but stay on task. Trust the process. We will be, I will be with you every step of the way. And that was because that happened for me. No one allowed me to be by myself during that time. And on the journey back, they always reminded me of the growth, how proud they were, that what I was feeling was okay. When I was frustrated or angry or sad, they said it was normal because as an athlete, you don't want to show what we used to think was weakness if you cried or weakness if you didn't present yourself strong all the time. And so it just taught me, Paul, so much about being a leader and being a teacher and letting our young people know that it's a journey to wherever it is you want to go. The road to get there is never straight. It is going to have detours. It is going to have potholes. It is going to have bumps. But if you don't have to go it alone and you're going to have people there when you get off track to help you get back on, then you will get to the finish line. And it'll be a journey of a lifetime. I feel like I want to bounce up now and run through a brick wall. (laughs) (laughs) Natasha, it's such an amazing story. But I want to go from adversity to patience if I can, because I can see the energy you have. And in that answer, you reframed your situation. You thought about it differently, which is such Mm -hmm. a powerful skill. But there's another part of your story which is interesting, and that's 14 years as an assistant coach before you become a head coach. I can imagine for someone with your drive and energy, it must have felt like a long time. What did you learn about the power of patience through that time? Mm -hmm. We talked about me being a mother. (laughs) There's nothing else that teaches you patience but that. No, 14 years, as I often reflect on that time, it didn't seem long as I go back now and reflect. I'm grateful for 14 years because I'm prepared. And you do get that seven year, as they call it in the profession, that seven year itch where you feel like I know everything. I know basketball, I know X's and O's, I know what I what play I would call. I know you have to know how to be a great manager of people. Coaching is one component of what we have to do as a leader. And you have to know the people on your team, in your organization. You have to know their why. You have to learn what matters to them versus what matters to me. And My 14 years allowed me to watch, to listen, to learn, to ask questions. And I had with Patrick Knapp at at Georgetown, obviously, Mike Peterson at Wake Forest. But when you go back to high school with Patty Langworthy and Vicki Carson and Trudy Lacey, I had so many, and those were just the head coaches. There were so many assistant coaches as well that I still talk to, Stephanie Glantz, who Gosh, she has been so much to me. Helen Williams. Those are people along the journey. I watched. I watched the interactions with the players. I watched the interactions with head coach to assistant coach. And I pulled. I pulled what I loved. I pulled what I stayed away from what I didn't like, what didn't fit me and my coaching style. But I think I've grown so much over time Because you're talking about someone who started at 25. This is 25 years later. I just celebrated 50. And along that journey, things change. Players evolve. Circumstances change. Environment changes. And I think that being able to adapt and learn 
and just realize what's best for you. That 14 years, it was the right time. It was the right timing because when I became that head coach at the College of Charleston, I wasn't nervous about being a leader of people. I wasn't nervous about, is this the right drill or the right play call? I was really confident because I had two head coaches in Patrick Knapp and Mike Peterson who allowed me to grow. My six years at Georgetown and eight years at Wake Forest, from third assistant to handling meals and travel and scouting to elevating to my own pre and post game talk show and crisis management. And I used to wonder, why am I in these meetings? Why do I feel like I'm doing X, Y, and Z? Well, it makes sense in reverse. So I used to have those conversations, especially with Mike Peterson. I was older in, in my coaching profession at the time where I felt more comfortable, more confident to go and sit down. And he created that open door policy with me because he was always, what do you want to do? What's the path to get there? I want you to be that head coach from me. So what do you need from me? I mean, that's super powerful that here is the head coach, the leader of the program, and he knows one day I want to sit in that seat and he's confident enough to say, you know what? I can help you, but I know you're not one foot in, one foot out here. A lot of head coaches are worried when their assistant coaches seek for new employment or seek to be a head coach because they feel like, you know what? They're one foot. No, he knew my loyalty. He saw it over the years. And he said, I'm going to make sure you're ready. And so we talked strategy. We talked offense. We talked defense. We talked crisis management. We talked mental health. We talked about everything. And so I just think that being able to have all of that in that 14-year journey, there was nothing for the most part that I hadn't seen or experienced when I scooted over those six inches to now lead my own program. And I just am thankful for the 14 years. And I'm thankful for Patrick Knapp and I'm thankful for Mike Peterson and all the other coaches along the way, because they have poured so much into me and how I pay it forward is doing the same things because there are already players, former players that I've coached that now sit in the seat. And I'm so proud of them and the journey. Natasha, in your press conference, when you were announced as the new Arizona state coach, You addressed the players in the room and and you said something really interesting. You said, and this is a quote, you said, this is your team. You matter. We are going to get to your why and take it a step further. And it was the last part of that sentence that it really caught my eye. And Mm. I wanted to ask you, why is getting to someone's why so important to you as a coach? Ownership. It's ownership. What you feel like you have ownership in, you'll invest more. Think about your first car. You cleaned that baby. That thing was clean. You just had so much pride in it. Your first home, any possession that is yours, there's ownership. And again, this 14-year journey, you hear conversations, you listen, you watch. First-year head coach, 11-year head coach. You learn what matters. And just for me, everyone's leadership style is different. I'm a player's coach. I want our players, because it's not just my job and our staff's job to coach them on the basketball court. We're going to coach them for life. And I can't coach them to their why 
if I don't know who they are, if I don't know why they're doing this, if I don't know about their family or what's important to them. And so we ask, I ask those questions in recruiting. I ask those questions when they get here. I constantly ask, why? What is your commitment to this game? What is your commitment? Why are you doing this? And you hear so many things over the years. I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it for my mom. I'm doing it for my family's name. I'm doing it because I want to take care of my family. I'm doing it for the love of the game. I'm doing it, coach, because I'm enough. I was told growing up that I wasn't going to be or I couldn't do. And I'm doing it to prove people wrong. So you have a team of 15 scholarship student athletes, all 15 of them, each person, they're playing this game for a different reason. And if I'm only going in with my standards and my expectations, I'm going to miss. And everyone, you and I, everyone wants to be heard. They want to feel needed and they want to feel appreciated and valued. And for me, it's just, it works. When they know I'm coaching them to their why, they say, wow, coach heard me. She's listening. I matter. And it doesn't mean I lose sight of our foundation. I lose sight of the culture or the standards in which we will play with. But if they know that they matter, you know how hard they're going to fight for their team and their sisters. And when everyone knows each other's why collectively, they're going to help. They're going to push. They're going to encourage. They're going to motivate. And so I have found that when you empower your student athletes, when you empower your assistants, when you empower your support staff, all the people around you, and you know what makes them tick and you feed it, then they'll run through a wall for you because they know it's authentic. They know it's intentional and it just makes them feel important. Why do you coach, Natasha? I coach to make people accomplish what they may not think that they can do. I coach because I feel as though now, now it's my ministry. I think early on I coached because it was my passion. I coached because I love the sport. I'm a, I'm a competitor at all things. But over time, I've evolved as a coach, as a leader, accepting the role and the responsibility as a mentor, as an example, to let young people, young women know that you can do it. You don't have to apologize for working hard and having goals. You can do it as a mom. You will have to have balance and sacrifice. But I want them to see me, not just as their coach, as a strong woman, a strong woman for me of faith, but just someone who defies all odds, who's fearless, and who makes people better. I know that words are important to you, Natasha. Comes through in this interview. I also read that you write poetry. I do. Could you tell us about a time where you were given some feedback and how that helped you evolve as a leader? I'll say there was a time where his name is Kevin Sutton and we crossed paths. He was on the men's side at Georgetown when I was at Georgetown. And we just in, in casual conversation, talking basketball, talking shop. But he said, coach, be cautious chasing the big trophy. And I'm looking at him and he said, don't lose sight of the living trophies. It almost knocked me down. We are coaches and I'm here at Arizona State to win the national championship. That is the ultimate goal, right? But don't lose sight of the young people, the living trophies. They can go out and tell the story. 
They can go out and tell the experiences. They can go out and accomplish and talk about their journey here. Those are the living trophies. And that immediately, and not that I didn't care about the student athletes or to try to empower them, but just that phrase, just living trophies, words was so powerful that whenever I can speak into whoever I can speak to, I share that. And I always make sure that I talk about Kevin Sutton and say that that was our conversation. And that was what he said to me, because I do not want to misquote using that as my own, but I do use it because I do think that's super important for people to understand what we're doing. And The power that we have, the power and influence of a coach, of a teacher. We are with the students, the student athletes, more than their parents. We are with them in their formidable years. So we are, and they are, my living trophies. And so the power of words, the power of phrases, that has been with me and will stay with me forever. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You also talk a lot about action in your interviews. You also talk, and you've talked about it in this interview, actually, when I asked you about great coaches, you said they're listeners, they empower, and they have selflessness. You also emphasize selflessness a lot in your team. And I wanted to ask you, how do you bring a focus on selflessness just into the daily routines of that team? That's just how I'm wired. We talk about a we team versus a me team. We don't have agendas. We don't feed egos. We just don't. But what we do is we acknowledge one another from a pass to me to you and you make the shot. I'm very intentional to say, hey, go tell her great pass. Did you tell your teammate that might have missed? Hey, I'll see you next time. That was a great look. You got it next time. So always interjecting the positive. I think that's super important because we all, it's human nature to go negative or to to reflect on what didn't work. But I think it's, again, intentionality about positivity with others and with our players, with our staff. I'm constantly saying, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. And sometimes they'll tell me, well, no coach, that was, you know, it wasn't me. It was you. I know who I am. I know who I am. I know what I like. I know what I want. I have a vision. I'm a thinker. I process it. I see it before it happens. But I know that Nothing happens without others. I didn't get here. We're not having this conversation without hundreds of people. It is important, especially in a world where it's immediate gratification, where it's how many likes. So how many people told me they like something or how good I am to get lost 
in self. I think there's a balance in saying, hey, great job, but recognize how you got here. And so I think when we make that a culture, when we make that a conversation, when you say, great job, we'll high five you, we'll get excited for you, but immediately change that mind shift to how did that happen? Oh, you know what? She helped me. So I have to acknowledge who helps. And so you lose, you lose the ego and you understand the togetherness, the importance, especially on a team, even in an individual sport, someone helped you, they prepared you. So I just think that that's the culture though, that is a conversation that we have daily as a staff. That's a conversation that we have as a team that then it becomes habit, repetition. Mike Peterson always used to say, the back of the shampoo bottle tells you a lot about how well you'll be as a person, as a leader, as a competitor, because it says rinse, lather, and repeat. Rinse, lather, again, people who poured words that have super powerful meanings, and I listen to them. Rinse, lather, and repeat. Every day, everything will grow a culture. Natasha, your leadership vision is not confined to the gym, though. Your you're very vocal on equality issues. In fact, I think they're probably core to what you stand for as a human being. What would you like to see more leaders in the community do just every day? What would you like them to do, start doing tomorrow when it comes mm-hmm. to diversity and equality? First, I would like all leaders of people, not just coaches, of people to ask the people that they're leading what they need. So many leaders forget to ask. They go in with these preconceived notions of their agenda, of what they have to do, meaning they themselves. I want this. We need that. Well, what do you need? And so I think the first thing, the first order of business is ask the people that they're leading what they need and what they need from them as a leader. I do that all the time. What do you need from me as your head coach? How do you want me to coach you? I don't know if a lot of coaches ask that. Well, coach, I want you to be direct. Or coach, I don't want you to call me out in front of the group. Coach, I want to just sit down one-on-one. I'm more private. I'm more one-on-one. That immediately lets me know. That's what they need from me. I need feedback. I need to know feedback pretty much daily. Okay. And everyone needs something different. Love leaders immediately to start asking the people who they're leading, what they need. And then use their platform to create change. Change is uncomfortable. Change is uncomfortable for so many. Equality, right? Diversity, social injustice. No one, a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about that. But if I'm a leader and I'm leading a group of people, it is my responsibility to make sure every person that I'm leading feels important. That's why representation matters. Gender, ethnicity. It matters. I can't lead or I can't empower someone if they never know that they can do it. You walk in a room and there is not equality. If there is not balance, if there's not diversity, if I'm leading young people and they look around and there's no one looks like them, how do they know they can? I just think that it's time for leaders to have tough conversations with themselves and whatever it is they're uncomfortable with, and seek out resources, seek out information, seek out help, because they're failing in their leadership if they don't bring awareness, if they don't bring 
change, if they don't bring new ideas, if they don't grow their culture. So I just think that's where the word action, it's time. I think they need to first ask, though. I think when you know, you know. Natasha, I'd like to follow up and talk to you a little bit more about empowerment. You mentioned it there, but maybe just another great quote I've got from you before I ask the question. You say, as a coach, you're going to prepare them, the players, to compete. You're going to prepare them on game night, but you have to prepare them as young women. Every Mm -hmm. place I've been, we've had success because we empowered our student athletes. I'm wondering, there'll be people listening that think, okay, I want to start empowering my team. And it could be a community group, a work group, whatever. What are some of the practical things you think they could do to just start empowering people tomorrow? I hate to sound repetitive, but whoever you're leading, you have to know where they want to go. So I think you have to have that initial conversation of what matters to them. What are their goals? What are their short-term goals? What are their long-term goals? But then what's holding them back? See, I think there's another thing. What are their fears? What are their fears? And then feed them, feed their fears. What's important to them? If players on my team love like causes and things are important to them, I know like breast cancer awareness because it's near and dear to their family. So when there's a community service event, we're going to make sure there's awareness around breast cancer. If there is maybe something internally in someone's family that they're dealing with that we can gather around or create awareness about. I know where I was previously, mental health was really important for one of my student athletes. And she was also an art design major. So she got to design the shirts that the team wore and we wore them for a mental health game. That lets her know she matters. That lets her know that What's important to her is important to me. And I think that that's the empowerment where we have them from 17 to 18 years old to 22 to 23 years old, where they come in and they're really soft-spoken and their shoulders may be slumped to where by their sophomore year, their parents are calling and saying, wow, my daughter is part of the student group. I'm really big on tapping into the academic experience as well. So if there are groups on campus that are important to you, then we will find time and balance and all that we have to do to make sure you're a part of that group. We had players on the diversity task force. We had players on student athlete advisory committees. We had them all over because that was important. And so you don't know what's important to them if you don't ask. But then when you have that information, do you just hold it? Or do you say, I heard you, you know what? I want you to be our representative. I want you to speak here at this organization. I want you to come with me and shadow me because I know you want to be a coach. There's an organization through the WBCA, a program rather, that's called So You Want to Be a Coach. You have to apply for it. It's like, it's a job and you go through the interviewing process. Well, I had three players at my previous institution where they said, coach, we want to go into coaching. Well, you immediately reach out to the WBCA and the So You Want to Be a Coach program because I heard my three players said they needed my help. Well, all three of them got into the program. All three of them today are coaching. You empower them by allowing them to share, to have conversations, to be in safe spaces with you about their wants, their needs, their fears. And you show them that, you know what? I'm acting. I'm acting on your behalf. I'm being there for you. I'm helping navigate this path that we told you we were going to do when we sat in your home, that we told your parents. Now I tell the parents, 
I do not promise playing time, but I do promise that you will be proud of your daughter's growth and your daughter's development. So when you lay your head down at night, you know that she's okay. That's what I promise. And every day we work towards that. Natasha, I've heard you talk about being pushed as a player and how it helped you actually become better. And now how this influences you to push when a player Mm -hmm. doesn't quite see their potential. And I was quite intrigued by this because there's this line between Mm -hmm. pushing people too Mm -hmm. far but not letting it become aggressive. And I think this is something that all leaders in any form, you might be leading a sales team, you're often confronted with this challenge. And I'm wondering how you go about dealing with it. It's balance and it is growth over time. My younger coach self was probably more, I would say, competitive and vocal in my approach from a younger standpoint, because again, I hadn't learned yet on how to be a good listener or a good manager of people. I was 25, so I just graduated. So I'm thinking, this is how it's supposed to be, understanding everyone's different. As I evolved as a coach and I watched different coaching styles and techniques, knowing my only experience was what I had, but learning from other coaches and listening and watching behaviors from responses and saying, how am I going to be if I'm so blessed to sit in this seat? What am I going to pull from all of my teachers? And then what works for the student? For me, it has really, players have changed in a sense. I don't agree with the beat them down, the build them up, break them down, the build them up. It doesn't work. (laughs) It just doesn't. No one liked it maybe 30 years ago when that was the coaching strategy for us, but we just, we didn't know any other way. Now that you know another way and you know that you build them up by building them up further, you build them up by highlighting and praising the journey and reminding them what they said to you. Coach, I want to be all conference coach. I want to go to the WNBA coach. I want to be, number one in this, that, or the other from a statistical standpoint. So my delivery now is, remember you said you want it to be this. Do you think your performance today or your energy today or your effort today or your communication today speaks to your why? Oh, no, coach, I probably, okay, well, it wasn't bad, but I'm trying to get you where you said you want it to go. And in my experience, the players who have done those things or have gone to the places, they were in the front. They were vocal. They didn't take a possession off. They were selfless. They looked out at all, giving more examples than criticism, reminding them what they said they wanted to accomplish to get them back to center. Because oftentimes it's words and then words get lost in feelings and emotions. So I think for me, getting them back to center of their words helps them process, okay. For me, it's just been an evolution of growth and understanding what works for you now. And the coaches who, in my opinion, who have that longevity and have that sustainable success aren't afraid to adapt. It's hard. You have certain coaches that it's my way. I'm not changing it. You're going to get it to a certain degree. Your standards are what they are. 
our principles, our formula. We're going to defend. We're going to rebound. We're going to run and we're going to score. And it's going to be in that order. But along those lines, I'm not afraid to say we're going to give you framework for play basketball. Trust what you know and giving them that permission. But also we ask them, I ask them, how do you want me to coach you? And that will then determine never disrespectful, never demeaning, never demoralizing. But if it's direct, it's you're not stopping the ball. I need you to stop the ball. I need you. We need you. The team needs you because you are our defensive specialist. So now it's not a negative. It's direct. It's what you said you needed. The other one is, well, maybe I put my arm on her shoulder as we're walking out from the locker room. Hey, are you all right? What do you see tonight? Coach, I'm, I'm struggling on this. I think they're good shots. You just got to hold your follower. You just got to let it go. You're great shooters. You think of all the great shooters. Diana Taurasi, great shooter. She doesn't hang her head. Just keep shooting. Shoot till your arm falls off. Have a great. So it's just knowing, knowing your audience, knowing who, and they told you, right? They told you what they needed. I've learned that. That is not something that I've always had. But I think over time, also being a mother has really helped me. And it's so funny. I, I t- <laughs> a lot of my older players, they'll come to a game and they'll like, what is this hold hands? And what is this? E- Coach, I said, hey, I'm older. When you're older, you're wiser, you know, and we laugh. But they'll say, who are you? <laughs> and I say, I'm Coach A. And, and I'm glad that that's the case. I'm glad that I'm still growing and evolving as a coach and understanding what the players need from me. I'm always learning because this is still my craft too. And I want to every day get it right. And if someone says, coach, this made me feel a certain way. And clearly whatever that was, I listen and I fix it. Or how can we make that better? Or what do you need from me? I'm just, I'm solution-based and it'll never be them. It'll never be they. It'll always be me and trying to figure it out. Well. You are a parent. I believe you've got a son and a daughter. I don't know how tall your daughter is, but I know your son's six foot eight. So I guess he's playing basketball too. I don't know what relationship you have with them, but if they ever came to you and said, mom, have you got any leadership advice for me? And I'm sure they wouldn't use those words. They'd probably talk around it somehow. What do you think the key things you would tell them would be? Gosh, we do. I have a son. My son is Aaron, Michael Adair. He's 25. He just turned 25. And my daughter is Alyssa Michelle Adair, and she just turned 17. And funny story, we're we're all connected at the hip. September is a big month for us. So my son is born September 2nd. My daughter is September 5th, and I'm September 7th, and my dad's September 13th. And so Labor Day is a pretty big bash. If you ever come this way, Labor Day weekend, just find me because somewhere we're having a party. But I would say... My children are leaders in their own right. Just it's in their DNA. My son and I have so many of those talks now as he's a man. He's 25 years old. He played in college. He played basketball. And so there have been so many moments where it's mom, 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 how do I do this? How do I handle this? What do I say? And it's so funny. Some days I'm like, am I coach or am I mom? in this conversation. Your mom, you're not coach, your mom. Okay. Okay. And there were times he'd say, I don't need coach today. I need mom. I don't need a lesson today. I need mom. 
And for me, it's all kind of jumbled together. So I will say that he is probably the leader in his friend group. My daughter, I'm sure, is the leader in her friend group. And a bit of advice, only, only thing I say to both of them, and when we lead each other aside from I love you, is make good decisions. Everything comes down to it. And so I teach them to think. We talk about thinking. We talk about deliveries. We talk about their peers and do you know them? Do you know just different situations? But when they do call, by the time we get off the phone, it's like, okay, I'm good. And I remember the last conversation I had with my son. It was so funny. He had a friend of his in the car with him and she laughed because she said, God, your mother just said the same thing you said. (laughs) And he said, I knew it, mom, but I just needed confirmation. And so we do, we talk about all kinds of life experiences. We talk about, for my son, being a 6'8 Black man in America, we talk about real things. And there's nothing off the table that I don't share with my children. I want to be that person that they come to, even if they feel like mommy may be disappointed or mommy may be sad or or I know better and I might have made a wrong decision. And I tell them I didn't get to where I am making all right decisions. (laughs) You have to make some wrong ones and, and you learn from them and hopefully you don't make them again and again and again. But life is about decisions. And sometimes you get it right. And sometimes you get it wrong. That makes us human. I don't profess to be their friend. I am their mother. There's a fine line. But I do want them to always know that they can come to me with anything. And I also think that's leadership. Natasha, you've been so generous with your time. It's almost an hour. I think I could listen to you for a couple more. It's fantastic. You've got such a way with words. And you used the word ministry before, and I really do feel like you're tapping into something very deep within your your audience. But I'm going to ask this last question, even though I think I know what the answer is. (laughs) Now, in the distant, distant future, when you hang up that whistle, pack up Uh the clipboard, although I don't know if great coaches ever do retire, what would you like your legacy to be? Legacy of love a legacy of empowerment, a legacy of support, a legacy of trust. I just, love is how I do everything. I do it with my heart. I do it with open arms. And I just want anyone, anyone who's ever been around or I've been so blessed to be around and coach and mentor and impact and work with, to know that they got my very best with them in mind and did it with love. I think love, empowerment, and if I could add a little dash of selflessness is a pretty good way to finish. (laughs) Great meeting you tonight, Natasha. It's been a real treat for me. After a long day, you've given me a real shelter of energy and I want to thank you for that. Thank you. And you have an open invitation whenever you're here to come visit the Sun Devils and I would just love to show off what we have here. Thank you, Natasha. I look forward to sharing this with a much, much broader audience. Thank you so, so much. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here, and you have been listening to the great coach, Natasha Adair. I hope you enjoyed Natasha's thoughts and found a few ideas that you can bring to your own dinner table, locker room, or boardroom table for discussion. When I listened back, the other key highlights for me, in addition to those mentioned by Jim in the introduction, were her thoughts on how you empower young women, the lessons she learned through focusing on living trophies, not big trophies, how it was her experience of having her career trajectory changed because of injury 
shaped her approach to helping her team handle adversity today and wanting to leave a legacy of empowerment and trust. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. Just like Rob Molokai, who after listening to our episode on purpose said, an excellent conversation that helps bridge the gap between the idea of having a purpose and bringing that to fruition as an individual or part of a team. Thanks, Rob Molokai. The interaction with the people around the world who listen gives us great energy. And so if you have any feedback or comments, please let us know. And also, if you are interested in helping us create one of the world's best leadership libraries from the lessons our interview guests have shared with us, then you can sponsor us through our Patreon page. All the details on how to do that are in the show notes.